Welcome to the Metaphoricist Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This week's story is Rock Atta's World by Chloe Smith. Chloe Smith was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. Her first job ever was as a shop assistant at a science fiction fantasy-themed bookstore, and she never lost the taste for speculative fiction, although the world took her through a wide range of places and vocations before she stumbled back to her writerly ambitions. She currently works as a seventh grade English teacher, moonlights as a proofreader for Locus and Fantasy magazines, and ekes out time in between her jobs to think up more stories about strange worlds and familiar problems. Find her on Twitter at Chloe H. Smith. That's C-H-L-O-E-H-S-M-I-T-H. Let's jump in. Ada felt that the greatest mystery of being a parent was the way it tied you, with such powerful bonds of love, to a person with whom you would continuously fail to communicate successfully. She always looked forward to her daughter's yearly visits, even though they always meant more arguments that left her feeling both guilty and misunderstood. Sia usually waited until the last possibility of storm was long gone and the warm season was fully established, but this year, icy rime crunched under Ada's boots as she walked out to greet her daughter, and cold air pressed against the exposed skin of her face and hands. Sia turned from pulling a bag out of her suborbital hopper. She was certainly dressed for the cold, in thermal layers whose slim profile spoke volumes about their cost. Ada felt the usual mixture of wonder and pride that this person, who had once lain asleep with her head below Ada's chin and her feet on her stomach, was now flying herself between continents in a rented jet. Sia said, Why aren't you wearing gloves, Ma? Ada laughed. Which one of us is the mother here, girl? Sia wiggled well-covered fingers. I'm dressed appropriately. I was brought up well. Ada scoffed and gave her a squeeze around the shoulders. Well, come on in then. I knew we were barely going to be out. Her observation station was a small building, half sunk in the ground, with its own power panels and the bulk of a skim plane hanger visible off to one side. Ada gave the hangar walls a furtive once-over as she held the door of the main building open for Sia. Yes, there was nothing more than a shadowy smudge, indistinguishable from weathering. No one now would be able to tell that yesterday she had woken to find a block-lettered scrawl. Stand back and shut up, rock lover. It had taken her most of a morning, and a lot of retching, to clean out the mess of garbage and refuse they had left on and around her skim plane, and another couple of hours to repair and reinforce the damaged locks. Ada had forced down the feelings of outrage and violation, telling herself that fear was capitulation. This was an expression of popular opinion, not a direct threat. There was no sabotage to the vehicle itself, and no attack on her actual living space. Yet, Sia would say if she knew. Ada didn't plan on telling her. Inside, Sia settled herself in the second sleeping quarters. They were officially designated for visiting researchers, but Ada had been thinking of them as Sia's, reserved for her semi-annual visits, for at least the last five years. Ada made tea in the closet-like canteen, and then brought it out to her dining-come-work table, where she had to push the clutter of battery packs and recording equipment farther back to make room for two. How are things? She asked when Sia reappeared, preparing herself for at least a half-hour free-form rambling on Sia's work and love life, helped along by Ada's occasional interested noise or leading question. 
Sia shrugged. They're good. Same, same, but different. How are you doing, though? Uh Uh-oh. It looked like they weren't going to pretend that things were casual for even as long as Ada had hoped. What makes you ask? She gave her daughter a look. Sia had the grace to look uncomfortable. Well, she said, you know we end up being party to a lot of the discussion around new settlement development. Sia worked for the city manager's office in Istvan, the oldest city on the South Continent. Her position often gave her a line on issues that impacted the settlement population, though not from a perspective that Ada could agree with. She gritted her teeth in anticipation as Sia continued. There's been... Well, I saw the footage of the town hall meeting. I was worried about you. Ada closed her eyes. I was worried about you. Not, how could they? Not, the situation's appalling. Not, what can we do? She opened them again, stared past Sia to the wall over her terminal station, where she had penned an excerpt from a flimsy printout. The giant set of lists of Krishnan 4 are another puzzling example. These silicate creatures, who move at speeds not exceeding 6 centimeters per U hour, and leave as the marks of their passage enduring tunnels that permeate the surface of their world, may have a level of sentience that would guarantee their planet protectorate, if not sovereign, status under the Signia Accords. Although they are solitary beings, whose paths cross only occasionally over the course of their long, long lives, their songs, which gave rise to the name Whales of Stone, may be a form of communication. This implies a level of sophistication and consciousness, but researchers have yet to establish firm proof of either. This ambiguity has led to the current impasse in official decision-making. The whole document, the Report on Resources of Non-Sovereign Satellites, Planets, and Exoplanets, Appendix A, Sentient Fauna, was one of the supports that the first settlers had used to make their case for access to the planet. Give us this world to do what we like with as long as we don't understand it. Ada kept the flimsy on display as a reminder of what was at stake. Sia was frowning at her. Ma? It's a worrying situation, she said dryly. Sia rotated her cup in her hands. Still staring at it, she said, The thing is, speaking like that at the meeting, I don't think it does any good. You mean you were embarrassed? Ada's response came out harsher than she meant to. The truth was, she had embarrassed herself. In the moment, she had been caught up in trying to convince the town shareholders to see what she saw, until she was half shouting, How can we be so selfish? This isn't our world. To just come in and take what we like because it suits us? We have no right. This is an ancient species, a mystery worth unraveling. What you're doing isn't even legal. Sentient status ruling is still pending. Chair Horace Grish nodded impatiently, while the crowd behind Ada shifted and muttered. That status ruling has been pending since Krishnan's was first surveyed, Dr. Orm. It's hard to believe that a decision is forthcoming. In the absence of official status, you're just going to batter this planet and destroy a potentially sovereign species. The ruling isn't the point. This is wrong. She had felt so large at the time, full of righteousness and fire, containing multitudes. On the recording, though, her voice was thinner and higher, and she looked like what she was, an old woman, speaking words that meant nothing to her listeners. Ma, 
Sia's voice cut through her reverie. Ada looked at her. Sia had pushed the tea aside. Her forehead creased. Who do you think is going to stop them? Continental governance? Share vote results show there's only a minority favoring holding off expansion until the non-sovereign ruling is official. I know that, Ada snapped. She had correspondence besides Sia, other scientists and citizen enthusiasts who followed her research from the southern continent, where human settlements had spread. Some shared their own work with her, their explorations of the settleth roots that ran through this world, although that work could only be the archaeology of dead spaces and still remnants. There were no moving settleths left on South Continent, and Ada was the only researcher who had committed to an isolated life on the northern landmass. Isolated, at least, until the arrival of the recent wave of separatists from the South, who had founded the town of New Beginnings. Sia shook her head. How many reports have you sent, Ma? For how long? After all this time, it's not just share votes. Most people don't think Signy is going to designate the rocks as sentient. Ada sighed. That's not an accurate term. That's not the point. It is the point. Ada's voice rose. We don't understand, and our ignorance is killing them. Ma! Sia wailed. Killing them? They're not even aware. But this could get you killed. New Beginnings has their own sovereignty up here. What if they decided you're disrupting the peace or impeding growth? She gulped, sending a pang through Ada. You make your daughter cry. Sia took a deep breath, regaining control. I know how much you care about your research, but it's been years of nothing to show. There's work you could do on the southern continent, research positions in the capital where it's safe. You're in danger here. Don't try to deny it. Ada started to argue back, sputtering in her effort to find the words that could communicate her urgency, but Sia banged her tea down, cutting her off. She reached out to uncurl Ada's fingers from her own mug. I love you, and I'm afraid for you. Please come home with me, Ma. This isn't worth it. There was a long pause before Ada said stiffly, They have no right to do anything. New beginnings didn't even have the right to incorporate officially. Sia dropped Ada's hands and put her head down on the table. That doesn't seem to bother them. Even muffled, her words rang with fear and frustration. Ada had no answer to that. Sia was right, but she didn't see the real problem. If I can't make my own daughter understand. She pushed herself to her feet. You need to see for yourself. Come on. What? No, Ma. Sia's protests disappeared as Ada went into her sleeping quarters to find better clothes. She was damned if she was going to let Sia mother her about gloves again. It took ten minutes for them to re-emerge into the afternoon's chill. Sia had taken one look at her mother's outerwear, sighed deeply, and redressed herself for the elements. She followed Ada with an expression of long-suffering filial piety. Fine. Ada would take filial piety when she couldn't get authentic understanding. Outside, the land was sere and rolling, irregular brown with patches of frost and the simple fungusoid varietals that were this planet's only plant parallels at this latitude. The sky above was big and deep, with thin skeins of clouds wisping across it. Sia grimaced after they climbed into the little skim plane. It smells like a bad batch of fertilizer. Ada shrugged dismissively. 
It's just old. Let me concentrate. The skim plane was putting her through seconds of flickering controls. Her stomach clenched. It was possible she'd missed something when she checked for sabotage this morning. She closed her eyes and mentally ran through everything she'd checked. Seals, power cells, flight mechanism, stabilizers. The hum of the engine drive coming online interrupted her frantic listing, bringing her back to the present. Ada sighed in relief and Sia in impatience. The horizon expanded below them as they climbed in silence, until Sia couldn't keep her peace anymore. Ma, if you wanted to fly, we could have taken the sat. Just look, Ada said, slowing the skim plane to a near hover. Sia glanced down obediently. At this height, the patterns on the land were easy to notice. There were the hills and gullies made by eons of land masses pushing against each other, and the irregularities shaped by wind and this planet's scant waters moving the dust and crumbles of stone and biomass. But within the chaos-formed shapes were others, regular lines that cut across the surface of the world in mismatched arcs and segments, appearing and disappearing like poorly erased cursive. Think of the years they've been here, Ada said. Think of the ages. And we came in three generations ago, spreading and spreading as humans always do. Now half of them have gone still and dead. Sia started to say something, swallowed down her words with an effort, and put her hand over Ada's on the flight controls. Ada bit back frustration. She didn't want Sia's sympathy for her sentimental mother. She guided the skim plane back down, towards her recording site. Ada ghosted the little craft down with the utmost possible care, so that they barely felt the settling contact with the earth. Rationally, she was aware that the evidence of harm to the settleths came from intense and prolonged impacts, the vibrations caused by large-scale construction, the drilling and digging that came with building energy-efficient sunken habitats and mining for the resources to support them. Irrationally, though, she didn't like the idea of adding insult to injury. Ada tried to unobtrusively scan signs of disturbance as they disembarked. Her site closest to town had been torn apart last week perhaps by the same enthusiast who had left their mark on her hangar. It was a relief to see that no one had come out this far. She turned back to find Sia, who was raising an eyebrow at her. Looking for something? Ada forced a grin. Don't give me that sass. I haven't shown you anything yet. She clambered up the nearest curving slope. It was regular as the exterior of a tube, a convex arc that ran away from them for a handful of meters before disappearing into the earth. Ada dusted away the thin, loose dirt with her hands. The fungusoids were not dense enough to contribute much richness or permanence to the soil. Shifted a plastifiber shield that she had laid to keep out the elements, and let herself down through the hole she had painstakingly tapped in the stone. Going by feel, she found her work lamp. Once lit, it revealed a tube-like tunnel that disappeared into darkness in both directions. Its diameter was perhaps three meters, Ada stood on a platform that she had constructed to avoid the drop to the curving floor. There was a low hum in the air, a faint rumble just on the edge of perception. She helped Sia climb down, and they set off, Ada carrying her lamp and Sia trundling dubiously in her wake. The tube curved to the right and slightly down, so the light from the opening disappeared before they had gone 100 meters. The interior surfaces were smooth enough that Ada could have walked in darkness without stumbling but she kept the light trained on the ground in front of them, for Sia's sake. The humming continued, 
so low that it felt more like a pressure on the ears than a sound. After a while, Sia said, You've shown me pictures, Ma. And recordings. Witnessing is different, Ada said, and kept walking. They reached the Settleth, number 32 in Ada's research notes, after about 500 meters. Actually, it was 512 meters from her tunnel entrance, and 8 meters from where Ada had left it a week ago, going by her last marks on the tube walls. Number 32 was really booking it. Ada held the lamp up in silence, letting Sia take it in. The Cetolith was an immense bulk, reaching up over their heads, perfectly filling the diameter of the tunnel it had made. Its irregular surface, rocky and hard as the planet itself, trembled slightly, but that was all. Its forward progression was not visible, and its moving parts, cilia, that tore away the earth it swam through, were microscopic and buried in the recesses between it and the surface of the stone. Ada's earliest research had focused on those tiny piston-like appendages, which ate away at the stone and earth of the Cetolith's environment, allowed the rubble they produced to be ingested through the feeding cracks in the Cetolith's forward-moving side, created the long tube it left behind, and caused the rumbling vibration that marked its passage. It was impossible to tell the age of a living Cetolith. Their digestive processes meant that they took on the mineral profiles of their surroundings at the same time that the silicate structures of their outer surfaces sloughed off with their movement, adding to the stony composition of the paths they delved. Those paths could be found running through layers of rock and sediment hundreds of thousands of years old, though. Ada had followed this particular tunnel back to where it was warped out of existence by the movements of the earth. She had seen settleth tunnels that crossed each other, tunnels that ran together for a time, and sometimes points where two tunnels crossed and a third, new settleth trail emerged. No one had ever witnessed behemoths meeting, though. I need more time. These creatures don't operate on human scale. How can we give up on understanding them after a handful of years? Next to her, Sia stood wide-eyed. Ada had a sudden memory of leading a tiny Sia out of a shuttle port gate for her first vision of the overwhelming reality of a planet-side sky, the day they had arrived on Krishnan 4. Her daughter's face now had an echo of that child's wonder. Slowly, Sia reached out a finger, before looking back at Ada questioningly. Ada nodded. Go ahead. That's not the sort of interference that disturbs them. She watched as Sia touched the surface of the settleth and then jerked away. Ada knew what she felt, the source of that bone-humming alien song. Here. Ada pulled out her handheld and called up the audio version of her most recently collected recording. It kept the periodic, rhythmic patterns and relative intensities of the Cetalus oscillation through the earth while translating it to a frequency within human hearing range. The noise bassooned into the tunnel, echoing away from them in the dark. It had an irregular variation. Ada had yet to map any pattern or repeating signature in its complexity. She still had a limited data set, even though reports of Settleth song dated back to the first settlers. The earliest builders on South Continent had spoken of feeling vibration akin to drum beats resonating out of the stones they cut into. Ada bitterly regretted those settlers' complete lack of investigative spirit. It had been far too long before anyone had thought to make recordings, and those were compromised by human interference. Ada had spent these long years designing programs, comparing snatches and segments, 
consulting with seismologists and linguists, and trying to build a persuasive theory out of the conviction that this rumbling was meaningful and its source aware. The sound washed over them for long moments, alien and opaque. You really believe these things deserve the world? Sia asked. Skeptical or not, her voice was hushed. It doesn't matter what I believe, Ada said. We haven't established their sentience one way or the other. There's a possibility, a space of uncertainty. If we destroy first, there's no way to ask questions later. Here. She took Sia's hand and laid it flat against the surface of the tunnel. After another long moment, she asked, Do you feel that? Do you understand it? What happens if we ignore? Ma, be quiet. Sia was frowning with a sudden intensity and focus that made Ada swallow her affront and wait silently while Sia pressed both hands against the tunnel wall. The settler's sound was much more powerful in the earth it moved through. The vibration that transferred to a faint hum in the air around them was a call through the earth that spread outward for miles. Is that recording from this one? Sia asked finally. Ada blinked. No, it's from 27. That's my recording point nearest New Beginnings, actually. Sia waved a hand furiously to silence her, the other still plastered to the wall. Ma, it feels different now. Ada put her hand on the wall next to Sia's, feeling the irregular hum, powerful enough this close to its source to travel up her arm. Listen, Sia breathed, and Ada did. The two vibrations, the recording of the settleth amplified in the air around them, and the living settleth and the earth they touched, intertwined. They stared at each other, eyes gleaming in the low light. Ada was suddenly afraid that, after this long, after so much wanting, she was tricking herself into imagining patterns where none existed. She opened her mouth, but Sia spoke first. I think there's some kind of rhythm or beat? Ada pushed herself away from the wall and set off back along the tunnel, almost running. Ma, wait! Sia was nearly left in the dark. Ada was short of breath by the time she reached her platform, and her limbs were trembling. She bundled up half of the recording equipment she'd staged there. Thank goodness for secondary systems. By the time Sia followed her up out of the tunnel, Ada was already climbing into the skim plane. Is it like breathing? Sia asked as they surged across the landscape. Was that the first time you heard that? They don't breathe. But the noise. All these years I was only listening to one voice. You showed me. It sounds different when there are two of them. I need more data. Ada's gaze flickered between the land ahead of them and the map display, which had the locations of all her recording points highlighted, along with an overlay of the settleth tunnels she had mapped, topographically coded for depth. She brought the skim plane down again on a stretch of ground free of distinguishing landmarks, but roughly halfway between the line of 32's path and another, almost parallel tunnel to the west, 33. Ada took a breath before clambering out. Just bear with me on this, okay? Okay. Sia drew the word out, managing to telegraph skepticism and forbearance at the same time. Can I help? Ada reached into the storage bench behind them for a hand shovel. I'm so glad you asked. It took almost an hour for them to dig down to earth that was hard-packed enough for Ada's satisfaction. If we used an earth mover, Sia said at one point, 
pulling off her hat and using it to mop her forehead. We could be down to bedrock in half this time. And rain the acoustic equivalent of hellfire down on all local settlers in the process, Etta returned. I'm not doing that. She continued shifting the dirt Sia was turning up, away from the hole they were creating. Arid Christian Ford did not have much topsoil, particularly on this continent, which lacked the forest-style growths of the south, and the earth a few feet down was so hard as to be almost indistinguishable from rock. Etta had brought all her extra battery packs from the skim plane, as well as the recorder she had removed from the tunnel, and, most precious of all, her calibrator and excess ear, the most sensitive instrument she possessed, which she usually carried with her from sight to sight. It took some creative fiddling to embed the excess ear in the dirt, connected to the secondary recorder and even more supplementary batteries. She packed loose dirt around the hole for insulation, leaving only the battery's light receptors uncovered. She considered spraying the mound with an instant concrete for further protection, but chipping it away might upset the integrity of her recording, and it wouldn't take more than a few days to generate enough material to show, well, whatever it showed. Standing over it, she dusted off her hands. I'm ready for dinner. Are you? Ma, Sia groaned. What's all this about? I'll know when we've gotten some more information. Ada gave her daughter a hug around the shoulders. Thanks to your help, love. Ada spent the next three days trying not to speculate ahead of her data and failing to attend to Sia's conversations. Sia took her mother's abstraction with remarkable patience cooked meals while Ada combed through her old recordings or stared off into space, mulling over the possibilities. She spent hours in a vain search for other segments that might resonate together, either played unmodified or shifted up frequency, like the tape she'd played for Sia in front of 32. She would have slept in the chair in front of her terminal if Sia hadn't pushed her into bed each night. Now you know what I went through when you were a teen, Ada told her between yawns. You don't get to hold that over me anymore, Sia told her tartly. Go to sleep, or you won't be able to make sense of your new data when you do get enough of it. In fact, on the fourth morning, when Ada actually let herself start going over the overlapping recording of 32 and 33, probably too soon for a really robust data set, but she couldn't wait anymore, and, besides, there was another town hall meeting and new beginnings at the end of the week. It was excitement rather than exhaustion that made her hands flutter over the interface. She forced herself to take deep, steadying breaths, laying out the parameters of her analysis. The shape of what the new recording suggested, though, was something so massive, so revelatory, that she forgot emotions, consequences, forgot even the demands of her own body as she started to explore her results. Some unmeasured time later, Sia leaned over her shoulder. Well, Ada input a few more commands and then sat back as a new graphic flowed across her display. Look. Independently, the frequencies that sped out from each satellite through the rigid ground appeared random, without signature or repetition. In the interference between the two frequencies, though, there was something. Caught on her analytics program, it showed resonances in recognizable periods begun in one voice and finished in another. Ada swallowed, half afraid to put it into words. They're responding to each other. It's communication. She tapped at the display again, entering in another set of parameters, 
programs that would run back through her library of recordings, correlating timestamps, searching for echoes, trying to find patterns between what she was sure now was a symphony of voices, chorusing together underground, perceptible to those beings whose rocky bulk was attuned to the faintest shiver of frequency. That done, she pulled up another document and began hammering out an initial report to the research group on South Continent. Sia put a hand on her arm. Ma, wait. Why don't you go talk to them? Come home with me for a while. Take some time to discuss what this could mean with other researchers before you write anything. Ada frowned at her. How can I leave now? I need to follow up on what I... What you found. Awareness. They recognize each other. They're talking. Sia hesitated. Ah, I see the pattern. But communication? What's it about? Is it a mating call? Challenge? Are they sharing the latest tips and trends? Of course I don't know yet. Ada began, irritated. But Sia cut her off. Exactly. You just found this, and yes, it's huge, but we don't know yet what it means. This isn't enough alone to get a sentience ruling from Signy. If you come back with me, you can work on a paper about it. Somewhere safe. The Settlers don't have time for me to do that. Ada thought of the building projects going up in New Beginnings. The percussion of digging projects and construction spreading toxic shockwaves through the region's earth. She pulled her arm out of Sia's grasp and turned back to writing. There was a long pause, during which Ada tried to think only about how best to describe her data. Sia finally said quietly, I know I can't stop you. Ada could feel her daughter's expression. I just don't trust these settlers. They're dug in here, and they aren't going to listen to any new arguments about why they should wait for the ruling. Please come with me. Shut up rock lover. Sia wasn't wrong. The memory of the sabotage and graffiti warnings hung in Ada's mind, its weight on her almost physical. If their positions were reversed, and her daughter revealed that she had been ignoring threats to her safety, well, Ada could only imagine her own fear and anger. She took a breath, but didn't look away from her display. I can't not fight for this, love. Sia's work-leave trip was up the following day, and she went back alone, resigned but clearly unhappy. She wrapped her arms around her mother before she left, and buried her face in Ada's shoulder. Call me every day. Ada hugged her back and agreed, half her mind squirming with guilt, but the other half composing a new message to the administration of sentience establishing research enterprises. There was a several-week communication lag between Krishnan 4 and the nearest jump point, a gap that had been a boon when the messages from Asir had become more and more discouraging, and she had counted on the distance to protect her from a preemptory declaration that the Settlists weren't sovereign and the planet was free for further development. Now, though, if only she could show up in New Beginnings tomorrow with the authority of an official designation of sentience behind her, or at least able to make the argument that this new discovery had opened some eyes at Asir. Sia finally released her, seemed about to say something else, but then shook her head and left with many backward glances. It was all Ada had asked for. Understanding, forbearance, recognition. It was more than she deserved.
Ada arrived at New Beginnings at dusk. The sky was still luminous, although the sun had slipped below the horizon, and the buildings of New Beginning were shadowed geometric mounds whose silhouettes hunched together. The door to the community meeting hall was open, and several figures were standing in its light, talking. They watched as Ada left her skim plane parked and approached, rubbing her hands together. She had forgotten her gloves again. Ada recognized all of them. She knew almost everyone in town, at least by sight, after years of visits to what had once been an explorer's outpost and supply depot, and, more recently, months of visits to planning and development meetings after the town was established. They knew her, too. She nodded at the group, but they didn't nod back. And as she came up to the door, a man who had been leaning against its frame shifted his bulk to stand in her way. Rock Ada Orum, he greeted her, unsmiling. Have you come to tell us our business again? Sean Rios, Ada returned. It's an open meeting, I believe. Rios's frown deepened. The woman beside him spoke up next. You're not a shareholder. She paused before adding, Doctor, in a tone that made it almost a question. Ada squared her shoulders. I'm an expert witness. I have information, new information, that throws the status of our settlement here even further into question. This isn't our place, or our land. Under Signy. Oh, Signy, scoffed another man, cutting her off. Not all this again. Didn't you get it all out of your system last time? That ruling's never going to come, and if it does, what of it? The group was arrayed against her now, between her and the light. Why should we pack up and move back to South Continent? Or, even worse, leave this planet that's been our home for generations? Because of a bunch of rocks? Ada shoved her cold fingers into her pockets. I just want to be heard. She took another step forward. The group of settlers drew together the mass of their bodies cutting off the light from the doorway. Don't do it, Rock Ada. Rios's voice was quiet. Don't make it hard on yourself. He took a step forward to meet her, arms loose, while the rest looked on. Ada stiffened her shoulders and glared at them all. She tried to imagine the words that would reach them, that would make them understand. Signy's authority was light years away. Here and now, she might as well be voiceless. In the settler's eyes, she was as devoid of meaning as the settleth's. Sia was right, and she'll never forgive me. Sia will listen to me. It wasn't the protection of policy or government, but it was what she had, what she could do. She let her posture fall, took a step back in the face of their threat. Even shadowed by the light behind them, she could see Rios's smile, and it felt like a slap. That's right, doctor. That's a good choice. She felt their eyes on her back as she walked away. At home, she double-locked the doors, and then used her terminal to call her daughter. Half a day away into the south, Sia answered groggily, but within seconds. Ma? Everything okay? Ada took another breath steeled herself to let go. I can't convince them, and they won't listen to me. They're making threats. No, wait, I know, you were right, but please, listen to me now. I need your help. I need the settlers to know I'm not alone up here. 
I need people on SoCo to know about what I found, to believe it, to care. I know it's a lot. I know you have your own life, but this is bigger than some research project of your mother's. You saw the pattern. You felt them speak. Will you help me keep them all from falling silent? Sia's face on the video shifted with a mixture of emotions. Ada hoped that her words had struck a frequency her daughter could understand, that she could make her hear what the settlers were deaf to. Time that would have meant nothing on a settler's scale dragged by as Ada waited for her daughter's response. Finally, Sia nodded. All right. Her eyes shifted to focus on something beyond Ada's face, and her fingers came alive, tapping and shifting through her displays. You stay where you are. I'll come get you. Ada's heart broke a little more. But didn't you hear what I said? Sia actually stopped what she was doing to roll her eyes. I said, all right. You want people to care about the settlers? You want them to understand the consequences? I'll help you tell that story. Make sure it gets publicity, gets sympathy, get people to believe, maybe even commit to stopping more settlements. But that'll take time, and I'm not going to let you sit up there, vulnerable to those people. You can't make any new discoveries if you're dead. You have to leave this battlefield if you want to win the war. Ada started to respond, but Sia didn't let her. No. You wanted me to hear you. Now hear me. I'm coming now, as soon as I get these messages off. She cut the connection. Ada sat in the stillness that followed, letting Sia's last words echo in her head. Finally, she turned back to her terminal, opened up her analytics program. There were still hours until Sia, even traveling at top speeds, could reach her. She pulled up the newest recording, the conversation between 32 and 33, and tuned it to human audible frequencies. The alien sound filled the air around her, and Ada set herself to listening carefully, alert for signatures and repetitions in the schematic on her screen. She knew this song might be an elegy. She might not be able to stop the settlement in time and these might be the last recorded communications of two sentient beings. But Sia was right. The fight wasn't over. There were still settleths who might send their resonant calls through this planet's Earth for eons to come. That was Rock Atta's World by Chloe Smith. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, or better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com or on Twitter at metaphoricistmag.